Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the show. For this week's episode, I'm actually releasing a conversation that I had with another fellow functional medicine nutritionist, Terea Rodriguez. Uh, She had asked me to come into her Facebook group. She does these about 30-minute conversations with other other clinicians. Um, She does them right in her Facebook group. I'll actually link to the video, but she gave me permission to release the audio here because I thought it was such a cool conversation, just like two gals talking shop, talking about some things that we experience personally and then also um, in our practice. And I just had a good time. I thought it was good info. We talk a lot about elimination diets or, you know, how do you navigate social settings when you are on a specific diet for your, you know, for your health. Uh, We also get into how we know that food can be inflammatory, right? We've certainly talked about that a lot here on the show, but then the absence of certain foods can also be inflammatory, right? So we talk a lot about that. Um, So I think you'll enjoy this, whether you're a practitioner or somebody interested in nutrition or somebody going through your own health struggles. I think it's a a good chat. Um, After the conversation, I will pop back on to talk about some specific strategies based on our conversation. So be sure to stay till the end because I'll be back to chat with you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Thursday edition of I don't even know what the show is called, but whatever, it doesn't matter. I just love bringing topics and guests to talk about various different things in health. And this week, I'm super excited because I'm joined by Aaron Holt. And I met Aaron in a practitioner training program that we were both in. And Aaron, you are a um, certified functional nutritionist. Is that right? Did I get them right? Because there's so many different ones. I know there's so many different ones. I went yeah. to school to become a dietitian and um, ended up studying more in the alternative health space. Because like back in the day, functional, there wasn't really like a functional anything. Right. So, um, all, it was alternative health then. And then I started studying functional nutrition and functional medicine. So I, you know, I, I'm a nutritionist, but I practice a lot of functional medicine modalities. This is amazing. And, um, you see clients both one-on-one and in group format. You also have a podcast. What's the name of the podcast for everybody? And we have to spell it, don't we? We do, because I couldn't make anything simple. It's the Functional Nutrition Podcast, but functional is spelled with a K because I'm kind of funky. 
which I love. And it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. So I wanted everybody to know that you are the voice behind that beautiful, wonderful podcast. Thank you. Um, Yes. Voice behind the podcast. So um, one thing that Aaron and I both have talked about a lot because the practitioner training we were in was the um, transformational eating practitioner training. And I had Jessica on a few weeks ago to talk about that. And so the audience kind of knows what that is, but we were talking about foods and how to really deal with some of these things that come up in terms of our mindset, our beliefs, when somebody actually has an actual food sensitivity. And that got me to really thinking about gosh, foods can drive inflammation. There's a legit situation where certain foods that we are eating can drive inflammation. And then I've also seen the converse where certain foods that are absent or missing from the diet can drive inflammation. So I'm curious to hear from your perspective, Erin, in terms of foods that drive inflammation, do you typically coach your clients to avoid certain foods and then do you individualize it from there? Like what's your approach? Cause some people are in love with the food sensitivity testing. Some people hate it. Um, some people like to just use guidelines. What's your approach? I typically, you know, I'll, I, I don't see the average Joe, right? So I'm not like working with people who just want to like clean up their diet. I'm really working with people that have ongoing chronic, usually GI stuff, maybe some autoimmune type stuff. So I try to get everyone to be gluten-free for the most part, um, maybe dairy-free. Um, but beyond that, it's pretty catered to the individual. If, if it seems like there's a lot of inflammation going on or like really chronic stuff, then we might, you know, talk about corn, soy, dairy, eggs, maybe like the big ones. But outside yeah. of that, I'm not really super duper restrictive in terms of like what we're removing, maybe some grains for some folks, but I don't go you know, hog wild. And in regards to the food sensitivity, I've actually noticed and, um, you know, I say gluten-free because I've been gluten-free for 15 years. And so I've had 15 years to acclimate to a gluten-free diet. But for some people saying you have to go gluten-free is like, wait, what? What do you mean I have to go gluten-free? This is really overwhelming. This is really challenging. I had one friend, she said, I started crying because I started thinking about what if, what if I want to go to Italy and, and have bread. She's like, I have no plans to go to Italy, but these are the thoughts going through my mind. Of course. So in these scenarios, I do something like uh, the vibrant wellness wheat zoomer to like get the, get the actual data, because I think it's a lot easier to make decisions um, when we have the data in front of us. So I do sometimes utilize certain types of food sensitivity testing um, when I think it's appropriate, but it's really not like my first line of, you know, I'm pulling out the big, the big, highly antigenic food first. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you and I operate very similarly. You know, for most people, gluten can be inflammatory in nature. For some people, celiac, for example, it's an absolute, like, we're not going to even play around with gluten at this point. Um, Dairy for some, sugar for sure. And then really just paying attention to how they feel versus certain foods. How do they feel when they're eating eggs every day versus when they take a break? You know, how, how is that showing up in their body? Because most people will know if they have a regression in symptoms or an, an exaggeration of symptoms, they're going to know that that's being driven from inflammation. 
Sure. And then we have the hypervigilant person. And I say this with all love and respect because I kind of slot myself into this category sometimes at, you know, at different phases of my life and my health journey where we're, we're in such a keyed up state that we might actually not have really good um, communication with our body. We're like, is that, is that, is that a flare of symptoms? Like, does, is this making me feel bad or, or, or is this not right? We don't always have that, that um, ability to tap in, in a, in a self-assess, like, am I feeling worse by adding this food back in or not? And one thing that I say, if you're going to do an, an uh, elimination, you know, provocation diet, you really want to be in a, a low stress state when you add those foods back right. in, yeah. rather than in this like super keyed up, hypervigilant, really stressed out state, because that in and of itself can can mimic food reactions too. So I think Absolutely. in those cases, I actually think it does make sense to do some type of food sensitivity testing because it can sometimes mitigate that that stress, you know, that that overthinking tendency that a lot of us have. Absolutely. And and I get overwhelmed when I start thinking about how do I add foods back in? Because of course, there's a very methodical way of doing it. And you know, if you've got somebody who's busy or is cooking for a family, um, you know, all of these different things, doing the very methodical adding of food back in one at a time after you've taken out so many from an elimination diet can feel like it's a going to take forever and be going to be really hard to sort out, right? And so sometimes that's where I'll bring in a food sensitivity test to give them at least some guidelines of how do we prioritize that big list of foods that are now out. Absolutely. And one thing that I probably should mention is that I struggled with disordered eating for 13 years. And so a lot of the work that I do is, is you know, through that lens of, um, the emotional, and I know you've already talked about this on the show, but the emotional component of pulling foods out or restriction uh, or just, just food stress in general. And I don't think that, every, you know, when we talk about elimination diets, especially in the functional medicine world, I don't think we always bring that into account how stressful or emotionally challenging it can be like something like a low FODMAP diet can be very psychologically hard. Yeah, exactly. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, I'll hear a client come to me who's, I've been on low FODMAP AIP for three years and I'm like, oh my God, how did you even survive? Because that's such a hard thing to do, both from a logistical standpoint, but also that emotional standpoint of so much restriction over time. And I think that's part of the, one of the, re well, it's one of the reasons, but um, you know, when I did AIP, that was really tough for me to give up a lot of foods and feel like I was dieting. I felt like I had regressed back to, you know, high school and college when I was dieting and counting calories and doing all of those things. And I just, that's not good, good mental health space for me at all. It isn't. And you know, we're, when we talk about inflammation, uh, we have to look beyond just food. I mean, it's food is easy for inflammation. Yes, pull out the processed foods, pull out the sugars, pull out the highly antigenic foods. But things like self-compassion and kindness can actually lower inflammation in the body too. And yeah. we don't always pair these restrictive diets with self-compassion and with right. kindness, right? I mean, right. I think about the when you just said that those diets like it's like going back to high school when you were dieting logging tracking counting calories and all of that you know i think about diets like the specific 
carbohydrate diet, the SCD diet, and I'm not throwing any shade because I know that that's helped a lot of people. But when I look through the regulations for the, the SCD diet, specific carbohydrate diet, I immediately go into like full bone, a full, full blown stress mode of like, this feels like I used to feel when I was dieting. I mean, just the overall vibe I get with the language that they use, you know, it's illegal or illegal. This is allowed. This is not allowed. They tell you to follow this diet rigidly. I mean, they literally use that language and I'm like, how feel how? just yes. at this. Yes. And so, yeah, it could be an anti-inflammatory diet in theory, but in practice, if we're going into these diets with like all of this stress and all of this rigidity, I mean, we, we have to, we have to weigh that. We have to factor that in too, I think. Absolutely. You have to factor it in because food is, is part of the overall stress profile or stress bucket, if you will. And um, if there are stressful things happening at work, at home, you know, emotionally, we're layering on this, like, how do I deal with not being able to hang out with my friends as much because I've got a weird diet and they don't, they can eat pizza and wine and you know, all of that stuff gets layered in. Then all of a sudden our stress goes really high. And we, you and I know that stress can drive inflammation just as much as an inflammatory food. You know, that is such a good point, especially about the socialization aspect, maybe less so now. I'll just throw it out there. Maybe that's less of an issue now. But Fair enough. I have two friends in our pandemic pod that we see. Everybody else that's on screens. So I would love to hear your thoughts a little bit about how you approach that, because that's actually a big question that I get is how do you navigate or how can I navigate a, a restrictive diet in a restrictive diet that, you know, could just be like a gluten free diet when all of my family members and all of my friends and my social network, you know, don't eat that way. And for me, I've been doing this for so long and I'm like, you know, I, I, I I, I have boundaries like in spades. So that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. So I would love to hear somebody else speak to like, how do you navigate that? How do you help? Oh people? gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, some, some tips and tricks that I give my clients it, are things that I used when I was um, really restricted in my diet. And one of those is I, and I'm lucky because I'm very good at logistics. I'm very good at organizing that kind of thing. So when my friends would talk about, you know, Hey, let's all go out. I'd be like, I'll pick the restaurant, <laughs> I'll do that work, right? I'll do the legwork, which behind the scenes means I'm checking the menu online, making sure I can navigate that. If I can't, I'm calling the, the manager and saying, hey, you know, I've got some issues. Can you guys handle that? And so that's how I would deal with it when we were going out in restaurants and that kind of thing. I've even gone so far as to, you know, if I didn't feel safe in a particular restaurant, letting them know that I was celiac. And if they wanted to avoid a 911 incident, that they needed to kind of communicate with me. And, and that was exaggeration, of course. Yeah, a casual threat will get you so far. <laughs> but it was a way to communicate with them how serious it was, right? And um, and I think sometimes you get this attitude, and I've, brought, I've totally brushed up against this attitude of, oh, gluten sensitivity doesn't exist. You're just crazy. Right. So there's a little bit of that going on, but in like a um, social situation at home, right. Thanksgiving, ooh, 
big, big deal Thanksgiving because now we're coming together to eat and share a meal. And a lot of uh, holidays are this way. Um, oftentimes what I'll do with my clients is talk to them about what kinds of dishes could you prepare that you feel good about eating that are compliant. I hate that word too, for those reasons, but that would work in the situation that you are in right now. And can you bring some of those and pick one of them that, or pick a food that somebody else is going to make and just know that you might have a little bit of inflammation from that, but being able to be social with your family without having that subtle judgment going on and then looking on your plate and why aren't you eating the stuffing and why aren't you eating the this, that, and the other is that's much better from an overall stress profile to not even be worried about it than to be so freaked out about the food and have it be a major issue. So it's kind of like, um, Chris Kresser says this a lot, but the, the stress of like being perfect with it is much more damaging to the body than a bite or two of the offending food. Absolutely. And I just, one of my clients today, um, she starts, she has MS, she was, has started the walls protocol. And her question for me was like, will I never be able to eat a piece of cake? Like she was genuinely asking, you know, not being funny. She's like, will I, will I never be able to eat a piece of cake? Or like, I have to be like a hundred percent compliant forever. Or, you know, like, how do I navigate this? And yeah. I think we all have to be like really radically honest with ourselves because I don't think anyone can come up with that, those answers for us because, for me, I like, it's not a problem for me. It's not a stressor to uh, be BYOF, pack my own food, bring it wherever I need to go and not eat other people's food and eat my own food. That feels totally fine for me. I have no idea, no problem if people have an issue with it. Eyes on your own plate. That doesn't bother me. However, for somebody else that could be like really, really stressful. And so I think you have to determine and navigate, you know, the, the, the pros and the cons, you know, based on your own you know, your own feelings and like how much wiggle room you have. But I mean, to that point of Chris Presser, like the thought of her, you know, if she had to carry that thought around for the rest of her life, she's like, I don't even eat cake, but like, can I never have cake? You know, it's like, we have to, we have to remove some of the stress of this like perfect rigid diet by yeah. once in a while, your body's going to get inflamed and it's probably going to be okay. And of course, the more they're on this healing journey, the more and more resilient their body is going to be to these imperfections, right? I mean, I don't like to, to ask somebody to be perfect about their diet either. I want them to be a human being. Like there's going to be a mistake of cross-contamination in a restaurant. There's going to be a time where you're just like, you know what? I'm eating the cookie. I'm just going to do it because that's what I want to do. And there what I want to avoid is that eventual like shame of I made a mistake. I didn't do it right. I wasn't perfect. That's the part that I want to avoid because that's the part that I think again, drives that stress that comes from that's more damaging than what's happening with just eating the cookie. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And that, that word that you said resilient, I mean, the resiliency piece is the thing that I keep, finding myself coming back around to like, if I had, if I could do one thing for my clients, for, for people, for anyone listening, it's to instill in them this belief that your body is resilient. Your body can rebound. It's what it was designed to do. And if 
can believe in that, if we can truly believe my body is resilient, I mean, that is the most healing thought in my estimation, like ever. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's, and that's definitely something that I'm, I focus a lot with my clients trying to help them build that idea and belief and identity of being resilient because their body for a long time with chronic illness has led them to believe that it's not that way at all. Right. So just shifting that whole identity into that. Um, you work with clients in gut health. Yes, I do. I do. Um, so I was I was excited to talk about because you had reached out saying, do we, we want to talk about not just inflammation from the food we eat, but maybe inflammation from the food that we don't eat. And I think that's such a brilliant, under-discussed topic. Yes. Um, and I would love to tuck into that. And I even just saw a stool test today that I was like, this is this encapsulates the this exact point. Um, she has chronic Lyme, had been on antibiotics, you know, the whole song and dance routine, prescription antibiotics, antimicrobials. So as expected, her beneficial bacteria were really low pretty much across the board, right? Yeah. We're not shocked to see that. Um, her inflammatory markers were, were really pretty elevated, right? Yeah, sky high. And so I think as, you know, and I don't know if you have a lot of clinicians that listen to the, sh to the show or even people that maybe have done stool tests. When you see high levels of inflammation on a stool test, immediately we're like, we got to go searching for the infection. We have to go searching for the pathogen. You know, we have to go searching. Is there food sensitivities at play? Is there, you know, LPS, lipopolysaccharides, leaky gut? We have to go search searching for the, the, the thing to find and to fix. And in reality, what might be going on is that those beneficial species are low, so they're not able to really do their job. And one of their jobs is to mitigate inflammation in the gut. One of the ways they do this is by releasing short chain fatty acids. I mean, we hear a lot about butyrate, that's one of them, right? But yeah. these short chain fatty acids have anti-inflammatory properties and they it's almost like checks and balances that if if you've got good gut, good gut bacteria you've got good production of short chain fatty acids you have lower inflammation in the gut that's one of their one of their jobs and so we have to kind of swim upstream and maybe you know maybe it's this you know in this situation it's been overuse of antibiotics but maybe it's diet right? Absolutely. Like low carb diet, you know, low FODMAP diet, even a gluten-free diet has been associated with lower levels of, um, what is it? Fecal bacter, fecal bacteria, impressed. Oh you get a gold star for pronouncing, pronouncing the species out all the time. Like I can write it in my sleep saying it. I'm like, I'm just hoping a prayer right now, but but it's one of the main butyrate producers. Um, yes. And it's not to say like a gluten-free diet is bad. It's just that our diets are so limited and so not diverse, so lacking in diversity that gluten has become like our main prebiotic in the standard right. American diet, right? Right. So we know that reducing our plant fibers and reducing our, um, reducing our plant fibers, reducing our prebiotics, our starches, Yeah limit the food source to these beneficial bacteria and that can generate inflammation in the gut. 
And that's exactly what I see. Uh, almost, ev almost every stool test is exactly what I'm seeing. And, you know, most of my clients come to me because they've got autoimmune diagnoses already or they suspect it. So they've been trying AIP. So, you know, automatically they've eliminated grains, legumes, a lot of different types of these prebiotic fibers that are so beneficial. And <clears throat> when I started running um, the gut test, the BiomeFX, it really clicked. I was like, oh, got it. Okay, from a functionality standpoint, there are multiple, multiple beneficial bacteria that are actually in charge of all these anti-inflammatory, lowering inflammation processes in the gut. And so you can literally see that this is what's happening. And then of course, it, you're right, you just back up that whole stream of things. It's like, we need to feed these guys so that they're not starving to death. And oftentimes what I see is a gut that's just been starved of these beneficial fibers to feed these beneficial bacteria so that we can have high, chain, high levels of short chain fatty acids and the butyrate and all of the other pieces that are in there to keep that in balance. And so I think it's one of the things that is underlooked a lot and not really talked about in terms of, you know, what are those drivers of inflammation? Maybe it's something that's not there. Well, I think it's not talked about because we kind of follow template medicine in functional medicine a lot, which is like you look for the thing and you fix the thing or, you know, we're, we're really stoked on kill protocols. Right. So we were like we were very literal in our translation of labs like, oh, here's blastocystis hominis. OK, now I'm going to do some anti parasitic type of herbs. Right. Here's right. this overgrowth. Here's H. pylori. Let's kill it till it's dead and gone. But if we can take a, a step back and not miss the forest for the trees, so to speak, right? And we can start to see patterns. And I think this kind of just comes with seeing lots and lots and lots, lots of different clients and lots of different tests, stool tests, but we can see these patterns and it's like a kind of like a, a holy, holy mackerel moment where you're like, oh my God, you know, this is bigger than the, like the one pathogen, right? Yes. We want to like hyper-focus on the thing. So then we can be like, look, we found the wrong thing. We're going to fix the wrong thing and everything's going to be better. But I think if we can step back and, and start to assess these patterns, I mean, it's, it's a completely different approach in a lot of ways, but I wonder if we'd be doing ourselves, you know, a lot more service long-term with, with the, the microbiota in our guts. Yeah. I think the big approach that I try and take with my clients is that 30,000 foot view, right? Functional medicine, we can get down to the runway and the stripes on the runway, but we also need to look at it from that 30,000 foot view so that we can really see how is the diet that that person is eating relating to the gut microbiome results that we're seeing on a test. You know, how are all of these different things relating to each other? How's the gut microbiome relating to our hormones, et cetera? So, you know, knowing that it's all interconnected, I think sometimes you're right. We miss the forest for the trees because we're staring at the bark with a, with a magnifying glass, getting into the nitty gritty of the bark, but we're missing the whole rest of the picture. And I think sometimes it does take a lot of seeing a ton of test results, seeing these different patterns come through and then just making that aha of like, oh, okay, perhaps there are some foods that are missing that are contributing to the problem of these bacteria being absent, gone altogether, or in very low populations. 
Yeah, and I think one of the things, you know, as healthcare or, you know, health practitioners, um, from a business standpoint, we're often told you got to uh, like niche down, niche down, niche down, niche, niche. I can never say it and I always butcher it. Um, and you have to like focus on your specialty. And I, that has always rubbed me the wrong way for so long. I get it from a marketing standpoint. It's brilliant. Um, and uh, Dr. Datis Karazian, who I'm sure you're a huge fan of, he's like yeah. my favorite, my favorite. Um, I just love his approach so much. And he was talking about like the, the issues with being an expert in one thing. It's like no different than conventional medicine, how we separate all the parts of the body. We're starting to do the same thing now in like functional medicine, where this person is a PCOS X expert. This person is a, you know, blah, 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 you know, parasite expert, but what we really need to do is understand that these are like systems on top of systems, on top of webs, on top of webs. And yeah, it's really hard work. It's not it's hard work. And then you and I even branch out further and remember that we're talking to somebody's mom. We're talking to somebody's, you know, sister or, you know, that they're a real human being and that they've got thoughts and beliefs and emotions and all of that stuff is wrapped into this too. So yeah, I hear you. We're we're starting to specialize way too much. Um, and I find that there's more and more one of my hot buttons is I'm seeing an allopathic approach in the natural space. So 100%. it's the pill for the ill, but it's just not needing a prescription. The we've we're like losing the ability to think critically, to listen with compassion and to think critically. Yep. This takes time. It takes a take time. Work. It's why I burn out often and take breaks from private practice because of this. But it's also like it really, I don't know, it's 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 important. I would be so curious because we were talking about these limited diets. Do you ever see um, stool testing come back from somebody on a ketogenic diet or even a carnivore diet? I don't I've only seen one, to be honest with you. So I don't have a lot of um, experience with this, but I would love to talk to somebody who's seen more. I've seen a couple ketogenic diets. I've never worked with anybody who's been on a carnivore diet. That's been a trend that's recent, mm -hmm. um, which is also fascinating to me, these diet trends that um, are floating about. But on the ketogenic diet, that too also has a pattern, you know, and you start to see that. I see it more in the organic acids than I do in a stool test, but I definitely see that if they're focusing on high fat, moderate protein, low carb, we're still having the same problem. We don't have the prebiotic fiber to feed those species. So I still see that imbalance with, you know, the keystone species versus um, pathogenic species. You do. Yeah, what do you see on the organic acid test? So on the With organic ketones. acids test, you'll see um, you'll see a lot of uh, ketones and ketosis type stuff that's out of range, but it's not out yeah. of range. It's expected because they're in ketosis all the time. Um, whereas you know some people, like you said, they'll take that test and they'll look at it literally and they'll say this is out of range. Oh, therefore you need L-carnitine. Well, let's take a step back. Do they really need L-carnitine? Do they have an L-carnitine deficiency? Probably not. It's just their body's in ketosis and that's what an organic acids look like when they're in ketosis all the time. So really, you know, it does take clinical experience over time to learn these things. I remember when I first started, I was very literal. 
and very much, you know, trying to apply what can I apply here for to find on this test result. And over time, I've realized that it's more about pattern matching. It's really starting to understand what's going on. And like you said, it's a lot of listening and it's a lot of really taking the time to understand what's going on for that particular individual. You know what's so. interesting when I my practice 10 years ago, um, I, it was like all food. That's, that's what I knew, right? That's, that's all I did. Yeah. And as I started getting more into the functional medicine space, I found myself focusing less on the food. Maybe I was just burnt out on it or something. I don't know, but I, or maybe I was just really excited about all of these new tools in my tool belt. And now I find that I'm like circling back around to using, you know, utilizing those food as medicine principles and taking more of a food first approach. It's like kind of like I've come back full circle. Yeah, I think I think we both are in a way of, you know, I was very much prescribing the AIP kind of thing for a long time because that was what people were doing. And um it wasn't until I started seeing people who were on AIP that were getting worse. Mm -hmm. That's when I started changing my whole tune around, okay, we really need to take a look at this nutrition and a broader spectrum than just a funnel paleo AIP approach, because it might not be. <laughs> that was the first time where I was like, hey, it might not be the answer for every single person on the planet. Hmm. <laughs> So, you know, maybe we should really take a look at that. And I started really getting curious. And one of the people that I learned a lot from was Dr. Jason Harlech. He's down in Australia, but he works a lot with SIBO patients. And he worked with a friend of mine personally, and he, he put her on partially hydrogenated guar gum. And that was like the evil antichrist in the paleo world, right? And I was like, that's really fascinating. What is he doing? And he talked a lot about how you know, focusing on a particular style of diet can really shift the microbiome in a way that isn't beneficial for somebody. And that we really need to look at what does the microbiome need? What do they need? Because <laughs> that's what we want to feed. And so I learned a lot through observing her going through being treated by him. And I mean, she turned around completely. So he was like the glitch in the matrix. Like, right? <laughs> I was like, wait, what is this? What is going on? This is the, like you said, this is the absolute antithesis of SIBO treatment. Of Lentils, mung beans, and guar gum? Are you insane? And now uh, PHGG is like the number one. If I picked like one supplement that I use the most in my practice, it would be that one. It's just, he's brilliant. He's taken such a different approach. And I've learned so much through him. Um, even though it's like so fundamentally different than so, than so many of us have been taught. Totally, totally. I had a gal who had severe POTS and was in a wheelchair with it. And she started doing PHGG and she was able to get out of a wheelchair. And most of her POTS was microbiome imbalance, extreme oh microbiome imbalance. Unbelievable. It's just, I mean, those are the kinds of stories that I love because that tells me that there isn't one way of eating for every person on the planet, that everybody is unique and that we have to always keep, you know, this bigger picture view going on with each individual. Otherwise we can't do cookie cutter approaches. I mean, it's only going to get that bell curve and that's like a small section of the whole bell curve. 
Right. That's what I'm, I'm like. The, the the cookie cutter approach maybe works for like 30 percent of people or, or maybe 40 for right. being generous. But then like, what about everybody else? You yeah. know, like we're just it's like the medical gaslighting that goes on in conventional medicine. I, I feel I fear that it's starting to happen in the alternative pockets, too. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, well, this protocol works, you know, this H. pylori protocol works. If it doesn't work for you, I don't know. It must be you. It's definitely not the protocol, you know. And so then we leave people just struggling, really struggling. Yeah. yeah, we really do. So um, you and I could probably talk for a long time. We've got a lot of fun things that we could talk about. So we'll have to do this again. Um, but thank you so much. I would love to hear where people can find you. So I know that they can find you at your website, right? But where else can they find you? I spend um, an embarrassing amount of time on Instagram. So they can find me on Instagram. It's the dot functional dot nutritionist. And again, functional spelled with a K. Um, and then the podcast too. Awesome. So thank you. Thank you, Erin. And um, I guess we'll have you on again sometime soon. Sounds awesome. I'm down. Okay. Thank you for having me on. Okay, so I'm back for a little bit more because after hearing that, I wanted to kind of close out the circle because maybe you have a stool test, maybe you've gotten a stool test done, and you're wondering if you have this uh, inflammatory pattern that we talked about where your low bacteria or your beneficial bacteria might be low, and maybe your inflammation, your inflammatory markers on your stool test are high. Things like calprotectin, for example, that's, you know, one of the most common ones that you'll see on most stool tests. And if that's the case, then what do you do? Or even if you're like, yo, I've taken antibiotics a bunch, right? So I probably have that pattern. I don't have the stool test to prove it, but I probably do. Um, what do you do? So the very first place that we want to get you started on is to evaluate one, are you on a restrictive diet in that you're restricting plant fibers? Because it's the plant fibers that are going to feed the good bacteria. So the answer to that might be yes, it might be no. If the answer is yes, really think about, does that make sense for you? Um, I went into a lot of specific detail on my low FODMAP episode a couple of weeks ago. So you might go back there and check that out. What we've, what we know about the, the, um, low FODMAP diet, but really this applies to lower carb diets, um, lower grain diets is that they can tend to be lower in uh, butyrate producers. So butyrate is an, a, uh, it's a short chain fatty acid and it has, can have anti-inflammatory effects in the body. Um, but those bacteria that produce them really, really get, take a hit when we are on a lower fiber diet. Uh, so there's very specific bacteria. The clostridia cluster tends to be the highest in butyrate producers. And so there's ways that we can increase these bacteria, increasing polyphenols, eating apple pectin, increasing prebiotics, um, resistant starch, different types of uh, fibers. I go into a lot of detail of food 
specific ways to do that, the different types of fibers and the different foods that are associated with fibers and polyphenols in episode 129, how to eat for true gut health. Uh, the episode 129 was the re-release of that episode. Um, so that would be a very, very good place to start. If you're totally lost in the kitchen, we're going to, in a couple of uh, weeks, we're going to release a back to basics episode where we talk about how to uh, demystify cooking and food prep. So we can actually like do the boots on the groundwork. But, um, of course I also, we also want to think about any type of um, extras we can add to the mix. One of our show sponsors, BioCult, their parent company does a lot of clinical trials with their probiotics. Now, of course, they're funded by the company itself, so that's always something to keep in mind with clinical trials. But one that was really cool is that these probiotics had a effect, a positive effect on fecal calprotectin. So calprotectin is that inflammatory marker that I was just discussing, uh, the inflammatory that the inflammatory marker that you would see on a stool test. And so we know that taking probiotics can have a immune and inflammation modulating effect. And so that's something to consider as a strategy. Now the uh, BioCult, we do have a code for you guys to save 15% off of your entire order. So be sure to check the show notes for the link. The code itself is FUNK15. That gets you 15% off the entire order. So we can we can approach it from a probiotic standpoint. We can also approach this from a polyphenol standpoint. You'll, you'll hear me discuss polyphenols a lot when it comes to beneficial bacteria. And like I said, episode 129 goes into food specifics. But what I'll also do as a treatment strategy um, when I see really low levels of beneficial bacteria is to do different types of powders. So high, I call them like kind of high color, high pigment powders and Organifi, our other show sponsor. I mean, there's a method to my madness, guys. There's a reason that I bring on specific companies for show sponsors. It's because I'm using these things clinically all the time. And then also in my personal life as well, uh, my personal health journey. Uh, but the, the pigment rich, um, powders that Organifi puts out. So I'm specifically talking about the red, the green, and the gold all help to feed the beneficial bacteria. So you want to make sure that you're increasing the diversity of plant fibers in your diet, but you're you can also supplement with probiotics and supplement with prebiotics and polyphenols as well. And I just feel like that is the most comprehensive approach that you can take if you do have this inflammatory dysbiotic pattern in your gut where those beneficial species are low. And because of that, they're not keeping inflammation in check like like they normally would if they were thriving. This is kind of a packs of one, two, three punch, I guess. So Organifi, you can save 20% off of your entire order by using the code FUNK20. And again, link is always in the show notes for you to take advantage of, of that coupon code. So hopefully this gives you a really good starting place if you feel that what we were discussing on today's show, and hey, the reason that two clinicians were discussing it is because it's really common. We see it a lot. So hopefully this gives you some, um, some starting point with what to do for your gut. 
Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.